Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. A tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! Hello, and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got a pair of guys who don't know each other too well, but who've crossed paths a few times over the years, most recently at the Desert Days Festival, Nick Albrook and Josh Conway. Albrook is the frontman of the Australian psychedelic rock band Pond, which is sort of inextricably linked with another Australian band, Tame Impala. Albrook was a member of Tame for years while also fronting Pond, and Pond includes some current members of Tame Impala as well. But Pond has built a sound of its own over all these years, much more hard-charging than that other band, and they've released a whopping nine albums of frenetic, fun, fuzzy rock. If you've never heard the band, their album titles give a hint as to what they're all about, from Corridors of Blister Day to Man, It Feels Like Space Again. Pond's latest album has a much simpler title. It's called Nine, and among its fantastic tracks is this one, Lights of Leeming. Now, Josh Conway is a huge fan of Pond's, though his own band, the Marias, approaches music with a much gentler soul. Conway started the group with his significant other, the band's namesake, Maria Zardoya. Their beginnings are kind of funny. They tried to write songs for TV and film placements, none of which, as you'll hear in this chat, were ever picked up. But happy with what they'd written, Conway and Zardoya ended up releasing them anyway, and the Marias was born. Their alt-pop is miles from the other guests on today's episode, with elements of jazz and even reggaeton sprinkled throughout a great debut album called Cinema. Check out a little bit of Hush from that album right here. Don't talk so much. Your tongue is burning up. I've had enough. Forget about it. In this conversation, Albrook and Conway talk about the work hours of Australians versus Catalonians, about how even a deliberate attempt to sell out can result in great creative work, and how taking a walk under the influence of Molly and Outcast changed Conway's outlook. Also, they declare cheekily that God is dead and art is too. Enjoy. I think we met very briefly right before your set at Desert Days. Yeah, I I was in a manic state. I don't mean like um like manic in a medical definition right. way i mean so just a bit strung out hyped <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what i mean dude that that show was so good so good i haven't seen you play since 2016 maybe 2015 i saw you guys at the echo in la on halloween oh <laughs> you know what's funny about that is um i've um I've only ever dressed up for Halloween twice and both times I've dressed up as Carrie. <laughs> and, um, and that was the first time when you saw me because I just went no to, the, to the op shop, the charity shop next door, and I was like, the easiest thing I can possibly do is just find an old nighty and pour shitloads of blood on myself. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that show was obviously, it was obviously amazing, but the Desert Days one was just like, whoa, like you guys really stepped it up like by night and day and you, uh, you crowd surfing was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I wonder when I'm going to stop doing that. I, I reckon before every tour, I have a moment of thinking, ah, I don't reckon I can be fucked jumping out into the audience anymore. And then I always do immediately, like as soon as the show starts. <laughs> First thing you do is you run out and just like straight into the stage. That Pretty That's much. a good bit. We just had a, a couple shows in LA that Maria, our singer, stage dived and crowd surfed at. Yeah. And she doesn't do that really ever. Um, but these shows, she just felt compelled. And we were all, and I was like, damn, how did yeah. you feel at the Desert Day show? Really good, actually. I think I stuffed it up a little little bit, but like like I, I was revving too hard, too hard. you know. The, the, oh, really? The, there was smoke coming out of the engine. It felt like just right. It was just like, let's go. And everyone good. was, especially after, because you were after Beach House, which obviously everybody loves Beach House and it's, amazing show but going from beach house to y'all's set was like just like (laughs) new new dimension (laughs) yeah they're very different dimensions i would have loved to see beach house i don't think i've ever ever i think i only briefly saw them at primavera once so many of my memories from that are so warped because um Mm -hmm. like the spanish uh catalonian like time you know schedule is couldn't be more different from an australian thing like australia <laughs> is so like finish work at three o'clock at the pub by three thirty, home by five and then in bed by like nine wait finish and, work at three o'clock like if you're a tradie you know you do like build build stuff you know Really? It's not five or six? Because here it's like six. <laughs> nah, the sort of ideal iteration of, of of the Australian work life is to start at, you know, start at like five in the morning and finish by like three. Oh, wow. So every time I'm like in at Primavera trying to watch a band at four in the morning, I'm just like shit-faced and I can't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's usually how it should be, I feel like. Yeah, except Sun Ra. That was so special that it just, like, bored a hole in my mind. Oh, wow. I've never seen them. It was amazing because Sun, Sun Ra died a while back, but it's still, like, a bunch of members of the um, orchestra were were there. Some of them were in their 80s and just absolutely oh, wow. cook, cooking. It was so good. So I, I was listening to your album. Um, oh, yeah like while walking around um okay in the in the hills and it was so fucking good like it's really uh-huh. really insane oh thank you is that your first album it's our first day like full-length album yeah we had two eps before it but that was our first uh yeah big one wow because our like our first album is true Rash. Beardwise like, so... denim? Are you kidding me? No, That's... our first album's called Psychedelic Mango Vision. <laughs> oh shit, okay. I don't know Psychedelic Mango Vision. I thought Beardwives <laughs> Denim was the first one, no? No, that's like the uh fourth one. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, right, well that was the first one that 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 got me into it. That psychedelic mango vision, are you kidding? That's an incredible title. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so you didn't have four albums worth of dog shit to like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you I, just came I, straight out. 
with the Marias, it, it was, we started, you know, five years ago. So for me personally, I had a lot of not great sounding productions leading up to this album long before the Marias. Okay. <laughs> Maybe just stuff That's that good. wasn't actually released. <laughs> but yeah, it was... <laughs> it, it, there's some other stuff that uh, definitely did not sound good at all that I, that well, I thought I, sounded great in the time, in the moment, especially when you're first starting out, I feel like it's, you think you figured it out every time you're like, Oh, now I got it. Yeah. That's the magic power of like people in there of musicians in their, in their early twenties is every mm-hmm. time you touch an instrument, you're like, Oh my God, I've made something <laughs> world changing. <laughs> I think that's why we released so much um so much dodgy stuff. I mean, nah, it's actually quite fun and good, but like it's not you know, not blowing smoke up your ass, but it is like it's it doesn't have the grand vision of cinema, you know, and like <laughs> like for a first album to have, you know, like a really cohesive thematic line and these like repeating string motifs in there and <laughs> like all this stuff that is like really crazily advanced is amazing <laughs> oh man thank you so much the, yeah. the string motif was definitely when we had the idea of cinema um maria had the idea of like cinema and that was just kind of like oh yeah we got to do the thing where you know we ha- we bring something back it kind of happened naturally we were like Writing melodies for oh, a song. I, think I actually little thought, little. I thought that was. Um, I thought she was saying um, "bidu baduba." <laughs> bidu baduba. <laughs> bidu baduba. <laughs> Maybe she should. Maybe she should yeah. say that now. Um, <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, but yeah, the, the we had the intro to the album uh, before we had "Little by Little," and then. Uh, when we were writing melodies for Little by Little, she started singing the same melody, but with vocals. And we were like, oh, shit. And then we were like, cinema. Like, it all makes sense now. And then yeah. after that, we did, had the uh, interlude. And we were like, we got to add it one more time. Um, but man, thank you so much. That's so cool. I bet like walking through the hills. And are you in Perth right now? No, nah, I'm in LA. You're in LA right now? <laughs> shit. Yeah, I've been no here way. since Desert Days. Oh, yeah. You guys are about to start a tour, right? Yeah, we're going to get it. Where in, where in LA are you in like the Hollywood area? I'm up in that zone where um where the hills are. The hills. Very... That's where I am too. What? Man, yeah, what have we be... been doing this whole time? Jeez. I don't know, man. <laughs> also, how did the sessions with Kuko go? I I heard you guys like basically wrote a whole ass album. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was amazing. It was so fun. I love him. He's such a He's... good guy. And he's so talented. a lovely bloke. Yeah, he's super talented. He's got amazing um, um, melodic gift or talent or I yeah. don't know. Like um, I find that really hard, especially when there's sort of obtuse chord progressions. You know, like some some of the songs on your album, um, like. Uh, all I want is you mm-hmm. with those really clever kind of um, chord changes that briefly like shuffle compl- out of key and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that shit so hard to like write melodies to. It's like, uh, you know, but yeah. he, 
you know, we would muck around in the studio with Omar and make like, you know, Jin would bring out his, con- uh, James bring out his conservatorium piano chops and like do all these like, yeah, Which blew things. my mind, by the way. He was introduced to me as the drummer of Pond and I was like, cool. Like, very oh, dope. Nah. And then he just fucking rips on... I was like, whoa, dude, this guy's nah, crazy. No, he's a serious, serious I mean, all of you guys. Player. And then I know Jay is also extremely talented and and Shiny Joe. I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> Joe, <laughs> Joe's got it made. <laughs> it's funny because every member of Pond is better at someone at another instrument that other people play. <laughs> Like Jin, the, the drummer, is an amazing pianist. Gum, the bass player, is like one of the best drummers I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, Jamie's way better at guitar than anyone else, than any of the rest of us. And uh, <laughs> me and Joe just kind of fluff about, just filling in the gaps, I guess. Have you guys ever switched in- instruments for a show? Yeah, we used to do it in the middle of the show. Oh, wow. It was, I think it was slightly unsettling for us but people (laughs) loved it (laughs) that would be really fun to watch too yeah hey this is josh modell host of the talk house podcast we love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Speaking of uh, new albums, Nine, dare I say, is your best produced album? Yeah, probably. I was listening to it last night, and I was like, this sounds so good. Everything, like Human Touch and America's Cup especially, were just like, fucking, mm, you know? Just like (laughs) there. And it wasn't like too over the top. It was just like right in that sweet spot of just like not enough, not enough. There it is. And then too much. It was just like hitting so good. That's wicked. Yeah. Couldn't get any louder in my headphones. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um. That was, it's the first time Gum and Jin have done the mixing because I've been doing all these remixes and um, like really good remixes. Um, and 
been really like putting in the hours and I think they've just gotten over the last two or three years, they've just gotten really good at mixing. Damn. Um, that's crazy. I didn't know yeah, they mixed it. So they it. just stepped up. Yeah. He did not tell me he mixed it. Did you, did you mix cinema? No, uh, it was mixed by uh, a legend, Neil Pogue, who is the only guy that's allowed to touch our recordings now forever. <laughs> yeah, it's really like widescreen cin- cinema. My favorite song at the moment is Heavy, <laughs> but I really like when um, it sort of blossoms out and these chords come out and suddenly it's like... um. It's like widescreen yeah. sort of goes, it goes into super, what is it? Super cinema mode. Goes into 70 millimeter. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's really great. I'm glad you said that. That was definitely a part of the album where I was just like, that was really proud of that part of the album for sure. Especially yeah, playing that amazing. live. It's just playing drums to it too. Like I'm on hi-hat the whole time and then it's just, God, it's just, God, it just like opens up and it's like, yes. <laughs> That's a really, yeah, really I- fun part. I like that the first line is "I'm heavy" too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be a Weight Watchers commercial. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying, yeah, no, I'm heavy actually. I'm I'm a bit heavy today. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get into Andre 3000's side of um, the double album, the Love Below speaker box? Yeah, Love Below, absolutely. There's the um, you know the. Um, I think it's Behold a Lady, the intro to that, maybe. Oh, I can't remember. But, yeah, it, yeah. it reminded me of that, yeah. So you know who mixed all every Outcast song? Neil Pope. Is it the, uh, I see. Wow. Yeah. He's Andre's guy. He's been his guy for from the beginning. So, yeah, that, that's funny you say that. The first time I heard that album, actually, was maybe, like, six months before cinema came out i mean i'd heard songs from it of course but i'd never listened to love below all the way through Mm. i used to i would do this molly walk thing so with some friends we would take some molly and i have a headphone splitter and we would all listen to headphones and walk around the neighborhood here at night and be rolling a bit um and (laughs) (laughs) it's a great time it's so much fun to just like walk around and listen to music uh and not be at like a club and just be like, you know, but like really be like enjoying time wow. with your friends. Um, highly recommend. <laughs> the first time I heard it, my friend, it was just me and my friend who did it. And he was like, I got to play you the Love Below. He's like, have you ever heard Love, Love Below? And I was like, no. And so we rolled and walked around the neighborhood listening to Love Below. And I was just like, what? And I didn't realize, because I'm a huge Kendrick Lamar fan too, especially yeah. to Pippa Butterfly. Um, and I was like, oh, like, this is literally the first to pimp a butterfly. Like this was the, Mm. like it just so many elements of it. I was like, Oh shit. Like this is where the inspiration came from. At least it felt like that. Plus I was rolling. And so I was probably made a lot better, but it's one of the best albums I've ever heard. It's like conceptually, musically, lyrically, it's funny. And it's like extremely poignant. (laughs) At the yeah. same time, what other things do I have written down? I said, moon, I noted, moonlight stuck in your teeth. Explain. 
<laughs> There's the one lyric on the whole album that I <laughs> I would uh, have a hard time explaining. Um, what do you <laughs> What yeah, do you think I, it means? I, I guess I just imagined it was a um, like a visual metaphor for yeah. I think the that's way a, it looks in the moonlight. If I had to explain it, I would say the moonlight would be something that you're trying to say that's maybe not maybe not as bright as the daylight so it's a little darker uh and because the following line is you got me tongue-tied trying to get it like you've got something to say say it that kind of thing you got you got something dark to say just say it (laughs) oh where did the dog sound come from that's one of my favorite bits of the album i love that that is our actual dog lucy if you get someone to walk outside and come up to the door without opening it she will go and and then i was like oh we got to record that man it's so it's such a good intro like doing the whole <laughs> the whole string thing and then like this really aggre- yeah. this aggressive like punch of the dog this kind of visceral yell <laughs> it's fu- it's fucking cool very affecting we uh there was a lot of talk about what song we were going to pick for singles leading up to the album. And obviously label and, and friends too, were like, you got to do calling you back. Mm. And we just, the reason we didn't do that as a single was because of the dog bark. We wanted that to be a surprise when the string section ends, you know? Yeah. So we literally like planned our whole <laughs> release around that dog bark. <laughs> yeah. We wanted that to hit. Having it slap people, yeah. It definitely hits live too because we turned it up quite a bit in the, in the speakers. So <laughs> uh, when that comes in, everyone's just like, "Well, there's been a few times where it's been definitely a little bit too loud," and everyone's just like, "Geez, like you just you can like see the crowd be like." <laughs> That's great, though. You know, there's not enough crowds going, <gasps> you know, jumping back. <laughs> <laughs> Are you excited for the upcoming U.S. tour? yeah yeah i am we haven't toured here for so long i mean i'm not looking forward to it being actually cold ah yes that's true winter tours it'll be it'll be worth it (laughs) do you like touring i'm getting better at it i think now you know it's only taken me like 34 years to start to (laughs) figure out like a sort of semi-sustainable way of being on tour. It's hard to keep your, I don't know, keep your shit together as a young idiot. It's easier now. I think think teenage ego being, you know, put to bed makes um, doing these stupid things like a lot easier to just have a sustainable attitude about it. Like for sure, go for your, go for your little jog in the morning and like treat yeah, yourself. I was say, are you are you a healthy tourer now? I still would say I drink too much. <laughs> uh, what is it? The the Surgeon General's advice. It, I, I don't I don't think my tour lifestyle would line up with the with what it says on the side of you know, stubbies and stuff like that. But, um, <clears throat> but I, I, I offset it by 
doing exercise and eating very healthily. I thought you were say by doing ecstasy. I was going to say that. I don't know if that's the... What do you mean? <laughs> Whatever works, I guess. I thought that's how it works. <laughs> like if you... If you, if, if, you get too, if you get too pissed, you just take ecstasy and it cancels it all out. <laughs> then you start working out and you, you're healthy yeah. again. <laughs> the running and stuff has made it really physically a lot healthier but mentally way healthier. I think a big part mm. of it is, um, is, get, is just as simple as getting out of the room, out of the space and being just in open air on your own two mm-hmm. feet. Um, it's like a little meditation time. I spent, you know, what fucking 12, 12 years or whatever it's been like touring. And when you stop at like holiday inns on the side of a highway, like a decade sitting in there thinking, oh, this is the most depressing place on earth. I can't wait to just get in the car and move on. And now over the last year, it's like there's actually like forest and stuff mm-hmm. that you can go into. That's what's actually there. M- Maria uh, also would agree very heavily with you. Um, she just realized that there's nature and she always we're always doing nature walks whenever we're, even after sound check or if it's on a day off, we'll go find somewhere near nature. Um, we did a support tour for Halsey, uh, in, in the summer and all of the shows were outside the city. So we'd be in Atlanta, but it'd be like 30 minutes outside of Atlanta in like some amphitheater. And every show was like that, wherever, whatever city, it was always like outside the city. So there was always nature. And that was when, that's when it hit her like, Oh, like nature is good. Nature helps (laughs) like being around trees and being in open air is like so vital for touring. Your progress astounds me. <laughs> <laughs> Second tour, you're already doing like nature walks to keep your mental health in check. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a healthy tourer. <laughs> I definitely like to have fun and party. Um, and just I just drink, I guess, and I don't really exercise much on tour. But when I'm home, I do lots of exercising. I just started doing Muay Thai and uh, jiu-jitsu wow. and just like going to the gym and like yeah like stuff I've never thought in my life I would ever do <laughs> like sick is jiu-jitsu the one where you sort of use people's like the other person's movement to your advantage basically yeah it's it's not strength based it's momentum based so you're always using like you just have to be really hyper aware of it's wrestling uh it's like on the ground you're not standing in jiu-jitsu um but yeah, you're you're always hyper aware of the other person's oh. where the other person's body is and where your arms are and legs, and you use their movements to counteract. And there's some like really simple movements that I've learned that I'm like, whoa, like I could totally break this guy's arm, <laughs> like just right wow. now. It's also really weird, like choking people, especially people that you like or have never met, and you're just like you're supposed <laughs> to choke them until they tap. I just like drag myself out of bed to go running, even if I've um, misbehaved the night before. Just like <laughs> this is, you know, this is good for you. This is really yeah. where the this is where champions are made. Do you run uh, at home, like off the road too? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I love it. 
it's yeah. my it's it's my time. It's my time to not have anything going on except a really really basic human rhythm. Mm-hmm. A rhythm that sort of you know not dictated by binaries or anything like that it's just it's super meditative i mean when yeah. i ha- when i have run it's always like you, when you get this when you go past that first like oh my god i'm so tired and then you get past that second wind and then you're just like oh shit i've been going for a lot longer since i've been tired yeah. and you're like oh, okay and then you kind of just lose thought entirely and you're just focused on breathing and running and that's that's definitely definitely pretty cool. <laughs> Rhythm has the power, has the power with human beings to put us into, you know, as a drummer, I'm sure you know all about <laughs> it. You can get lost completely inside the rhythm. I mean, like there's a, I guess there's a reason why monks have mantras. You know, cultures all over the world would use drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, to, yep. to, to speak to God. <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. Speaking of rhythm, the rhythm on nine, I was getting very like LCD sound system influence on some of the songs. Was that, cool. was that uh, not to say like, oh, it sounds like LCD sound system. It sounds like Pond through and through, but there are moments where it's like this repeating bass line and drum line and, and you're going off and doing your thing. And yeah. it's like, oh, this is like, I'm just grooving so hard and you're just you're just spitting. You're out here spitting. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have in the past, not nine, we've been like there have been moments of direct LCD sound system influence. Mm-hmm. I think with nine it was more like we just draw from the same influences as them. Yeah. I think a lot of the kind of the music that got created after punk in New York, like when it sort of hit the dance floor and um, mm-hmm. like disco and snotty white kids <laughs> sort of collided in the club yeah. and made stuff like, yeah, you know, like James Chance and um, and um, that sort of no wave disco vibe. And that was a big influence, stuff like Pink Lynettes and whatnot. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big LCD fan, and uh, I was just listening to it last night, and I was like, oh, because the pond that I know or the pond that all the songs that I can think of, I mean, there are a few that are that are dancey like that, but this one definitely feels more dan- like dance-based, like songs yeah. like Giant Tortoise and... Uh, Stuff on Beardwise, everything on Beardwise Denim, like the more rock, like psychedelic. Uh-huh. Um, and then that just having the backbone of of just like, you know, it was just like, oh, this makes sense. And this is yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah, thank you. No, it's 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 totally true. Like um, you just ride this unruly horse of whatever you're into going from week to week and stuff it all in the blender and it usually comes out with a kind of a taste of of whatever of you yeah (laughs) of of what what you do and like yeah happens all the time with us we'll be like next album i reckon techno 
full techno <laughs> beginning to end. And then by the end of it, it's like, you know, a fat riff and like Beach Boys harmonies or something. Like, ah, man. I've been talking about this a lot with Maria and with um, just other sessions I've been having, like in setting intentions for recording. Like, I feel like you, like I've heard like, oh, you're making music for the wrong reasons. Like if people want to be famous or if they're doing it for money or if, whatever, you know, I hear this all the time. And uh-huh. I'm like, I don't know if there is a wrong reason to create, you know? Like, I feel like if if I wanted to make a song that wanted to, like, upset someone, if I wanted to hurt someone, right? And that person would say, oh, you're making it for the wrong reason, like you're trying to hurt me. It's like, I can make this song that, that may hurt you, but to someone else, would be they would be like, oh, this is beautiful, or someone else would, you know, really connect with it. And there's, if I wanted to make it, like if I wanted to make a song to make money, I mean, someone could hear that song not knowing my intention that I set and be like, oh, this is beautiful. Like this, like how did you make this? You know, like that kind of thing. And I feel like intentions and in, in music creation are always good because <laughs> as long as you're creating, yeah. you're like doing the thing, you know, you're, you're, you're expressing yourself. And I definitely spent a huge part of my younger years being snotty about people, you know, selling out and shit. And on reflection, it's like that's absolute bullshit. Like the amount amount of good stuff that gets created because people just want, just need money is, (laughs) is infinite. You know, there's so much good shit that comes out because people just kind of want to, you know, ah, man, let's just make a bit of dough. Our first EP, Super Clean Volume 1, wouldn't have existed without that. We, Maria had a music supervisor friend who would kind of just send her pitches that he got of like, hey, this film needs a song that's set in a dark, moody club. And the guy, you know, it's like film pitches and we need a song by tomorrow morning. And the payout is 20 grand. And if you, if you get it, you know, and we're like 20 grand, like, oh, let's go. Like, let's just work. Let's write a song for this pitch. I feel and inspired we did that. suddenly. <laughs> yeah, we would get in the studio and just write a song. We did it many times and none of them got placed ever. None of them got picked up. But those songs became volume one. And that was ultimately what, you know, got us through the door and put our foot in the door of this crazy business that we're in. The spark of wanting to do something can come from anywhere. I had a, a, this conversation with someone the other day and I was just like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't think you can sell out by creating. Like if you're creating something, it's, you're creating. That's, that's art, <laughs> regardless of, the, of what intention is or even what you may think it sounds like, you know? So now I'm just going to make music to make money, baby. Let's get that bag, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's the, take kids... If you take one thing away from this podcast. <laughs> Just get that bag. Get the bag and get out. <laughs> oh, yeah, God, don't listen to us. Don't listen to us. Horrible Just do people. You. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, have we just ruined, like... <laughs> no. Art? No. Yeah, we've ruined art. Art as the a whole, da- yeah. The day that Josh Conway and Nick ruined art. <laughs> God I mean, is dead I, and now art is too. 
ultimately it's always going to be you. It's always going to be your creation, your heart that goes into it. And especially like, also another thing is like finishing a song in order to finish a song, you have to really like it, you know, to go through Mm. the process of writing it, recording it, writing a second verse, putting maybe a little bridge, putting like getting through mixing, getting through mastering. You have to, you have to like the song, you know, at least more than you do for the other ones, obviously. Um, Mm. And I feel like if you like something that much, like regardless of your intention and you finished a song, like, you know, if you made it, if you had an intention of wanting to make a, make money and you make this beat and it beat doesn't go anywhere, like at least you made something, you know, but totally. if you're, if you really go through the process of finishing, it's like, okay, there's, there was love behind that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for anything to be finished and created, you have to come face to face with the, with your own shitness like otherwise like you have you have to do something wrong at some point yeah um and then you have to have this strength of mind and perseverance and belief in what you're creating to amend what you think is shit right and it's like i don't know if you if there if there's something a voice deep within saying that's wrong then that's like the voice of creativity and not to get hippy dippy about it but like that's that's something wordless and intangible that that is mm-hmm. beautiful no matter what the intent is behind it absolutely Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast and thanks to Josh Conway and Nick Albrook for chatting. If you like what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform and check out all the good stuff at TalkHouse.com. This week's episode was produced by Keenan Cush. And as always, the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.